Welcome to the Thinking Church podcast with Lee Button and me, Chris Bright. Thinking Church exists to help your church thrive by helping you think through key strategic topics of church life. Each week we'll be tackling a different subject of church life and we'll be joined by some special guests along the way. So if you like this podcast, why not give us a like, give us a rating and give us a review as well. So without further ado, get your thinking caps on and let's get on with this week's episode. Hi there, welcome to this week's episode. This week we're talking all about discipleship. It was a conversation that Lee and I had with Nick Charalambas uh, from New Spring Church in South Carolina. But before we get into that, I just want to let you know that we've been working over lockdown on creating a membership platform. That means that all of our facilitation that we do in person, and we do also do online facilitation as well, we now have that available in video form on our website. You can go to our website, www.thinking.church. And on the menu at the top, you'll see a membership button. And there you can just go and uh, explore what it's all about. We're in the really, really early stages uh, of doing that, but it's all of our facilitation uh, will be available on there in time. At the moment, we have three courses, which is uh, creating a, uh, a mission statement, we've got an assessment course, and we've got a working out your discipleship pathway course. And we've got loads more courses that you'll see on there that are coming in the, the coming weeks and months. Uh, for a single church to sign up, it is uh, £20 a month or £19.99 a month or £199.99 per year. So you get a bit of a saving if you do the year price, but it's resources that you just won't be able to get anywhere else that will really, really help you think through key strategic areas of your church. So go to our website to find that out. Okay, so on to this week's conversation. And Lee and I, as I said at the top, was uh, we were talking with Nick Charalambas. Nick is uh, uh, not only a, a great pastor, he's also a great pastor in the online sphere and uh, he has some key insights when we're thinking about how do we do uh, discipleship online and also some more general thoughts about discipleship in, in general because I think discipleship is a massive topic and often gets really overlooked and often very confused. So I'm sure you will absolutely love this conversation with our guest today, Nick Charalambas. When we think about discipleship, we know that Jesus commands us to uh, go and make disciples. But apart from that, he doesn't go into too much of the mechanics of it. So, Nick, as a kind of a, a starting question to you, we know that Jesus asked people to follow him. But beyond that, what does the kind of mechanics of discipleship involve? Um, well, recently, I've, I've definitely become more aware of how much the mechanics of discipleship have to be a practice, a lived reality, a real day-to-day understanding of how um, to live out the gospel that we believe. And I think that um, that means taking, just like Jesus did, you know, t- you know, taking the the realities of the agricultural world or or whatever it might be, you know, and, and, and explaining those, framing those in gospel terms, in kingdom terms, 
I think that's the biggest challenge right now in the church, um, you know, at least in our church. So, um, yeah, so we've come out of a season of decades where, um, you know, knowledge about Jesus has essentially been considered discipleship. And discipleship is really much more Jewish, in this, I think, in the sense that you're learning to follow Jesus, like literally act like he acts, live like he lives, you know, talk like he talks, that kind of thing. And I've been very um, focused recently on just how much the Apostle Paul is unapologetic, unashamed of asking people to imitate his way of life, you know, and um, yeah. So I just feel like it gets more complicated, you know, when you think about discipleship in that context, especially in modern democratic societies like us that are very individualistic, we rebel and we kind of like rear up against the idea that somehow, you know, you're asking people to imitate your way of life because it seems like you're basically, you know, elevating yourself in an unbiblical sense. But I think I'm beginning to realize more and more that spiritual mothering and spiritual fathering is where we live if we're truly serious about discipleship. Um, I think the first go around in pastoral ministry in 2009 for me, you know, I think that the, um, the power of the internet was all about self-actualization. You know, I, I'm going to get what I want and live how I want on my terms, on my time. And I think in this go around, in this iteration, I'm realizing that that's, that's the complete opposite of the biblical way. So kind of blows out the water a little bit, this idea that I thought, you know, discipleship, surely that's just a one-off course that we all take. You know, it's the, you know, it's like, can't, can't we just program this into what we're doing as a church? And, uh, you know, we've seen people that probably try to uh, make that overly easy to such an extent that it could be like, you know, programmed or overly programmed for its delivery. I mean, it's like, I mean, what, what, what are your thoughts, Chris, on kind of like, you know, maybe, maybe that approach to it? Yeah, uh, I think when... Um when we often think about discipleship, our initial thought is, okay, there's a discipleship course. You go on some kind of course, and at the end of the course, you are a disciple. Um, but in reality, we know that, that that's not what it's like. And um, I'm always reminded of uh, Eric Geiger's book, Simple Church, kind of just blew that out of the water, really, where he kind of, he said that, that the job of discipleship isn't a course, it's the job of the whole church. The whole church's job is to make uh disciples so i think that when we're thinking about discipleship we've, we've got to think about it in the view of it's not just a course it's the job of the whole church uh yeah i, I think that's that's definitely the case so, Nick, what's, what's your thoughts on that one i mean it is the job of the whole church and i think the way that we have tackled discipleship as a course honestly speaks to the way that we have essentially kind of imitated the public education system in a way right it's like the idea that somehow if you just pump enough information into somebody, they're going to turn out like as gospel loving people. And I mean, I just don't think there's any warrant for that anywhere in the scripture. No, absolutely. The thing is, so if we're going to activate something like this as, you know, that, you know, we've got we've got the individual, we've got the corporate church, we've got our local church. Obviously, the, the, the church we're hoping is 
living on mission with some sense of purpose. And we know that we've all got, you know, the kind of like the great commission aspect of our mission. But like, you know, that bit of, you know, what are we uniquely here for within our location? What what can we do to tie discipleship to that broader strategy, maybe of what we're trying to do as a local church? Because, you know, there's there's, you know, imitating me and following that on. But we're talking about us all getting together to go in that direction um, collectively. Like, what does, what does that look like to tie that into a broader strategy? Um, and I mean, you know, I've visited New Spring a number of times now when I've seen, you know, many things. Uh, maybe some of the telling has changed ever so slightly over that last 10 years. But actually underneath it, there's still such a current of strength that you know you're, you're in with something. What, what does it look like to tie discipleship to that broader strategy? I mean, I think I think it's trying to it's trying to speak relevantly um, to a person's individual circumstances, but not in a way that is necessarily quote unquote felt needs. I think it's just trying to reinterpret the challenges that we face in our lives. And, and the threshold moments that we have and, the, and the, you know, the, the, the struggles, whether it's with parenting or whether it's whatever it is, like you have to, instead of presenting the gospel as a solution to a felt need problem, that you deal with the problem as a, in a sense, a, uh, an ungospelized part of your life if that makes sense, right? It's kind of the reverse, right? It's trying to, to recognize that the more problems or the more issues or the more struggles or challenges that you face, you are essentially saying that there is a place in your life where the gospel needs to come in and dwell and, um, you know, fill at greater level, a greater depth. And obviously the gospel there being the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ himself. That's really great. Um, at the moment, when we're thinking about discipleship, um, Nick, obviously we're in the UK. We're all uh, we're all in lockdown at the moment, uh, and so we've got churches that are having to consider doing online for the first time. Uh, so the the temptation can be maybe for some churches they're thinking, okay, let's just put everything on hiatus uh, until we're out of lockdown. But um, what are the ways that we can think about starting to approach discipleship on online? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think obviously a sermon, a message to, you know, to the larger church is obviously something that we need to maintain as well. But I do think that, you know, true discipleship in these times has to be a combination of one to one and, and one to small group. Um, and I think it needs to be... Uh, distributed so i think that the issues are that we've got so many ways that we communicate even offline right and online as well that we just need to be wise about the fact that we have to multi we have to speak into multiple places and multiple relationships that surround people right and 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 essentially we have to surround them with the gospel essentially and i think that 
in a lot of ways, the offline model where you come to church once a week, you get your spiritual, you know, injection or whatever it is, and then you leave. That's what we're trying to fight against is that we don't want to replicate that in the online world because that's really not how we interact like on any other part of our lives. Right. I mean, we're on our phones and we're, you know, engaging in some form of voice, video, text, uh, yeah. consumption, production, kind of like online life all the time. And what we need to do is find a way to infiltrate, in essence, those connections and those experiences with the truth and the and the presence of Christ. And that's where it gets very, very difficult or challenging. So I guess to sum it up, I'm saying that it's not like a, it's not like an event. It's not like a one deal. It's really trying to figure out, okay, if we've got three or four opportunities, reliable opportunities to try and gather people online and uh, call them to a conversation or to a practice in some form or fashion, we have to use those very, very wisely. Um, you know, mm. in accordance with the overarching mission of the church that we have. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, so following on from that, you just said about, you know, like the tools and like how we're, you know, we're attached to certain devices and how, how, we, how, we, how we live ourselves with that connection is that sometimes I think maybe the church has kind of um, pushed against some of that constant like touching and connection stuff in in the past as if sort of like oh no that's over here and church is over here so it's that kind of like actually looking at the natural connections and how we build them so that we're utilizing it because if we're going to do this and in one sense disciple well we also need to be doing that with people who've not yet attended our churches come to faith and actually those people that we're just sharing our lives with so um what what are some things you've done um maybe a little more in the past than like than, than recently but you were talking about storytelling and like the documenting of people's like testimony and things which is a very powerful thing do you do you ever weave them into uh the, the discipleship uh environment or your small group environment yeah i mean storytelling is i think the easiest way to begin right i mean everyone's fascinated by stories and you know um the story of any belief, anyone who has made Christ um, the center of their lives is by definition pretty dramatic. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I think most people, honestly, I think in this day and age, I think even more so are kind of fascinated by Christians. I think, you know, there's obviously a lot of people who, you know, for one reason or another harbor animus against Christians, but I think there's, even they are somewhat baffled by why we believe what we believe, probably more so now than ever. Mm. And so, you know, they will people will open the door to hearing your testimony. I think the question is, once you've presented the essential elements of the gospel, you know, how do you connect that to a society, to a viewpoint, to a lived reality that is so completely at odds with it? And that is what I think is the greatest challenge. It's the steps after, I think, sharing your testimony. So say someone is intrigued, not convinced, but intrigued enough, 
you know, okay, so how, you know, in the era of like, you know, se- you know, sexual identity and, and everything else, like, okay, well, help me understand why, you know, you know, taking that, the, those steps after that can be very, very challenging, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, it's really interesting because I think when we think about discipleship, the one thing that I hear from a lot of church leaders is, you know, how do you measure someone's spiritual growth? And, right. um, and I think, and it's always, you know, you, you can't say, well, attendance is a marker of spiritual growth because, because it isn't. And, um, and so you can't say, well, you could look at baptisms, that's potentially one of them. But I think stories would come into this a lot because actually when we're, when we're there, um, there's, um, there's a framework called Kinevin and it's um, and basically by uh, Dave Snowden. Is that right, Lee? Dave yep. Snowden? That's the one. And uh, he talks about how when when you're in that complex environment, which I think um, discipleship is, it's complex. It's not it's not it's not simple. You can't just measure it with numbers. Um, we need to hear more stories like this and less stories like that. And I was just wondering how that's you know, how you found that at New Spring uh, with, you know, hearing the more stories like this and the less stories like that and how that's been able to help you build a picture of people's discipleship. Well, I think you're absolutely right on that, that like there's kind of two aspects to it, right? On the one, uh, someone being confident and articulating the gospel about how the, how the Lord has changed them is, um, you know, a very uh, powerful, um, uh, you know, spiritually, you know, uh, transforming, you know, expression. That also tells you a lot about where they are with Jesus. So number one. But um, I also think that, you know, storytelling, um, you know, getting people to talk about storytelling, not just in terms of their salvation experience, but in terms of how Jesus has been working in them, you know, during the ordinary parts of life, you know, if they are able to articulate their ordinary life, reality as a story that includes the gospel then that is a very very powerful indicator that they know how the gospel applies and so whenever i was pastoring i guess you could say through story one of the most powerful things was i would constantly ask people okay so in this situation this ordinary situation you're in what what was your motivation behind that what was what was your what was the resolution that you were seeing in that or what was the you know, um, what was what was your hope that that, that would turn into, you know, uh, you know, what what kind of concrete reality were you expecting to happen if you had taken that decision or, uh, you know, before you decided to make that choice? And so I was basically constantly trying to get people to think in story terms, because at the end of the day, every one of us occupies a story like there's a a what do they call it? The. Um, there's kind of like a narrative that the modern world has created for human dignity and human meaning and human worth and everything else. And trying to reframe that, you know, in gospel terms, in kingdom terms is pretty challenging. And so, you know, it is essentially, you know, fighting story with story, right? It's like, if we're going to, should we say, go back to sexual identity, if that's a struggle that is going to really, rock the church in the coming decades we can't just say well that's not the right thing we need to say there's a better story 
and and the better story is X. And so like when you're discipling, I don't know if it's online, offline, or just discipling, you've got to create a story for how the gospel and the kingdom identity that you have as a son of son of um, of the Father, how that can transform your life and make it glorify God and bring gospel increase in the world. Digging now a little bit, um, kind of under that. So we're, we're, you know, we're putting these things in places, and most churches, uh, no matter no matter what their size, will have had some uh, some level of process. Um, you know, what's in, in in your time now in church? Uh, I might open this up wider because I'm sure Chris and I have probably instantly got stories on this ourselves as well. You know, what what what's what does it look like when your discipleship process is going well? Uh, but also then counter that what are the signs when your discipleship process is not going well do you know what I mean so like you know last week we uh no two weeks ago we had um Chris Surratt um on for a webinar we talked about small groups and we're like you know what does it look like when they're going well and what does it look like when they're going bad like actually to pick up those trends before things become issues uh, but also to know if you're going in the right direction because things take time switch into a virtual environment doesn't mean that people yesterday who met with you face to face instantly today know how to act on an online environment. Mm-hmm. So it takes time for these things to come in place. What does it look like when discipleship is going well? And what does it look like when discipleship maybe is going less well? Well, I, so there was um, there was a really interesting survey that came out. Um, it was a few, good few years ago now where it talked about how um, someone's discipleship journey, you the biggest indicator is Bible engagement. So in everything that you're trying to do, you're trying to look for those indicators of going, okay, is this person starting to engage with scripture? Is is scripture starting to become an integral part of their life that's starting to shape their thoughts and their attitudes? And I think that's where you see it go badly is when, you know, if preaching doesn't help you, like encourage you to like go to the word, then it's not helping you grow and and it's the same with you know any program it's it we've, we've got to think about it in that sort of paradigm of of bible engagement i think because i think that's the if if that is the the keystone marker of what's going to help someone grow because it leads to all the other you know behaviors that you'd expect of someone who's growing in christ um that's the key habit that we need to have i think that's that's that and and, and you see that all the time and you know you see churches that when they don't do that, you know, it becomes the program. It becomes kind of like a show, or it's just not bringing that that need and that want to engage with scripture. I think. Yeah. Yeah. What about I, for you, Nick? Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. I mean, in fact, if you hear me on my typical conversations with you know other pastors around here and 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 you know even volunteers, um, like I really feel like Bible literacy is the biggest problem sorry <laughs> the biggest problem this is crazy but sorry i apologize um the biggest problem that the modern church faces is that we basically gave up you know 
persuading people or the Holy Spirit, we didn't give the Holy Spirit a chance to convict people that the word of God was precious and un- irreplaceable. Um, at the end of the day, I think that the, the, you're absolutely right, Chris, that if, if every single part of your strategy as a church is pointing people into encountering the word of God and preferably encountering it together, by the way, then you're going to create the, the rock, the foundation for every single other thing. And I think that, um, and I think that's where, you know, like, you know, I think Chris mentioned too, that like, if, if sermons don't excite you, not based on, hey, it's dramatic, you know, the lights are, you know, whatever, and the music's great and the sermons, you know, funny and everything else. But if the sermons or the messaging or the worship time or every aspect of the church experience isn't basically saying, look how glorious God is and you can encounter him in his word, then we're missing the point, right? And so, you know, when it comes to online discipleship experiences, if if it's not firstly cherishing the word, uh, wrapping ourselves around the word of God, then I think we're missing the point. I think that's, that, you know, that's the the issue that we've probably had in, you know, the kind of the legacy of maybe the 1990s kind of church where, we kind of assumed that that people who don't come to church don't want to engage with scripture at a, a deep level in services. Yeah. And so what we did was we we created a mode of church where it doesn't it doesn't really excite you about scripture. Whereas I think there's you know you're starting to see um, much more of a shift. It's, and online, I think especially you know you look at like the guys of like uh, the Bible Project and people like that. They're really uh, going all in to excite you to start reading the word and i think that's the, a really a real key to uh, to discipleship yes yeah no, absolutely i so now am i, I going to be the one out of three of us to pick up on some stuff about you know when it doesn't go so well but mm. it, it's i'd say for me so in in the time that i've been in church and i've seen anything led um firmly believe that much of it rises and falls on the strength of the people who are essentially leading these elements uh and we've all seen it where sometimes people maybe aren't aren't going the way that you 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 would you would imagine or want them to but it's 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 down to those people who are doing the discipling a bit like when we had uh when we were talking about small groups the other week the people leading those small groups is you know that's that's an essential thing to get right and there's an essential thing to be in place i'm just wondering it's like Sometimes you instinctively know when somebody's going to be great at leading some of the discipleship prog- process within a church and, you know, teaching on a level of program um, and doing some, you know, deeper development. But like, h- how do we go about identifying those people? You know, how, how do we how do we pick them up to make sure we're making good choices about who's involved in leading those areas? Um You know, we 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 rely hugely, especially in the UK, on volunteer bases. Uh, You know, we there's that. Uh, far fewer employed uh, workers in our church environment i think per 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 head than there are in 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 the us um but I, it's like you know so what does it look like when we're trying to find the right people or if you're trying to disciple and you you know you haven't quite got everybody available yet like if this is going to be the the strength that underpins everything how how do we how do we find those how do we identify them how do we equip them as like kind of like you know senior positions how do we do that? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think this. I think this is really uh, this is really fascinating. I think when we think about discipleship, and and I, th- I I'm thinking even you know we're thinking about online discipleship as well. I think we've got we've got this interesting scenario that's starting to play out at the moment. And, you know, we're all in lockdown, so we're all forced online and we're all thinking about discipleship and how do we do things? How do we do things? Um, but of course, lockdown's going to end at some point, or hopefully at least. Um, and Nick, Nick, I'd love to come to you on this one, because I think I, I'm, one of the things that's in my mind is what's the, what's the legacy of coronavirus on, on the church for, in, for discipleship, especially thinking about how online is now playing a crucial part in what we're doing currently but what's what's going to be the the legacy once we're once we're done well i don't know if it's going to be a legacy just on discipleship i think it's going to be a legacy on the church as a whole i think i think the first thing i'm i'm sensing discerning in the spirit if you will is that you know this is a much more hospitable environment for church for true authentic gospelizing church right and that is that we are we are trying to redirect a broken culture we're supposed to be a new community right we are supposed to be a renewed people and i think it's in situations like this that suddenly people recognize that they've been living in a essentially a broken system and so we as a a church can come alongside and say well look we think that we've got better answers than the way that this society is is moving like you know the gospel movement in a way you know from in my life has been a recognition that slowing down rest margin you know grace in every sense of that word like not just doing good to people but but being you know so at ease and non-anxious and everything else is 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 loving people well right well that is the antithesis of what the busy 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 hectic you know overscheduled craziness that our world has been right and so i think that what we're going to see over the next six months to a year or so is probably people realizing oh wow like that slower pace of life is a more human pace of life and they're going to see oh uh discipling or 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 Uh, rearing our children personally is 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 powerful in ways that you know we may not have thought about before right and so we're going to get much more down to the basics right that the faith went from house to house in acts and i think that potentially the church in this season might come back to its roots it might come back to the reality that it's it's spiritual leadership in a home it's you know beginning it begins there and um and and catechizing the kids it starts there and that it be and it involves a much smaller um more human scale of existence right and i think that you know to me that's exciting now obviously it's not exciting when you're losing your jobs and you're struggling and everything else but as far as a more fertile place to sow the seed of the gospel, I think it's breaking up the hard ground in every way.
we talk about the business of the world, but let's face it, we see too many churches who are essentially over-programmed. They are flat out doing, and, and let's, you know, let's get this in perspective as well. They are flat out doing good stuff. They're not even doing like, you know, wrong things or bad things. They are doing good things, but they're still over-programmed. And um, we see this plateau that when there's too much over-programming that actually you funnel people, you plateau and you send them sideways into like program, which is back to our academic way of looking at things. You know, we, we teach it like it's a taught thing. So you just develop more programs rather than letting people grow and develop and move up and discover things for themselves to take on people at the bottom who've not yet experienced it and grow and develop. So we know that churches are essentially over-programmed. In fact, interestingly, we've got a story of a church that, uh, so Chris and I do, do work with helping churches look at their programming and reduce it and make it manageable. Uh, actually been in contact with a church uh, in the last few weeks who had said, oh, we were really, really struggling with uh, reducing the number of programs or services, left it to the side. Anyway, the coronavirus hits, lockdown comes, get an email in from these people uh, essentially saying, uh, well, actually, it wasn't too hard to strip out the unnecessary programs and services, was it? We did it overnight. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, there's probably so much truth in that, that actually when it came to a push, they went back to, oh, what's essential to actually deliver this? And like you said, it starts with the kids. Um, interestingly, putting kids work online, we're seeing a bit more of that creep in now. You know, week one, that wasn't a, wasn't a thing to do because what's the logistics of that? Now that's coming in. But it's that, you know, the over-programmed aspect of church. The, the church has essentially been guilty of it, the same as everywhere else, and we've been too busy. So when we come out the other side of this, what's it going to look like to only put back what we should be putting back and not just go back to that old habit. What can we do to protect ourselves in that, in that, in that time to make sure we only put back, you know, the legacy has got to be that, that calmer pace. Um, but let's face it at the minute, that calmer pace now is people, your entire team flat out delivering stuff for an online audience. Mm. But on the other side of this, we're going to have a physical space back and the online, and we're going to want to get that, in sync so that we don't uh you know don't get too busy again any any thoughts on maybe what some stuff we could be looking to put in place now to make sure that we protect that i think i think it kind of goes back to the previous question you asked too and and to my mind it's like you're not really i think we've approached the building up of the body as a, a, a and honestly in commercial terms in industrial terms you know finding somebody with a gift or, or a an ex, you know, an exp, expertise or whatever, a skill, and then plugging them in and, and, and you know, everything else. And I think, honestly, in my mind, um, leaders are created, right? So in your church, you cannot take for granted, no one should take for granted, that just because somebody's been in a leadership position at work or in anywhere else, that somehow that makes them a leader, number one. Number two, even if they've been part of a, a very healthy gospel community, um, I think, the way leadership and authority works in the church is that that we, you have to create a, a consensus, a unity, a harmony um, uh, from the top down, essentially. And so you can't skip that. You can't say, well, I'm just going to bring in five or 10 people who have had, you know, 
church uh, leadership roles and I'm going to trust that they understand the gospel, the Bible, and that they're just going to, you know, uh, minister to the many or to the to the groups that they have. Because what you're essentially assuming is that the story, the way that the Bible um, has storied them is the way that you want to story the people under your authority. And I think what we need to think about is not necessarily that their story is wrong, but that their story is going to be at odds with other people's stories, right? And so what you've got to do is restory your people who are carrying your spiritual authority and make sure that everyone is carrying the same story to the people within your congregation, if you want to use that phrase. And, um, and I think that's, that's a step that's often missed. And I think it's because we come from this mindset of like an industry where things are consumed and they're used rather than created. And I think that online discipleship, the church itself, in the new era has to have this very honest reckoning with the reality that that disciples are created over a long, long season. And leadership authority is something that you do not grant to somebody based on the fact that they've gone to a course or they've, you know, been at church every single week or or whatever it might be. It has to be based on personally taking on a an understanding of their authority and of their role as a spiritual mother or father, right? And I think, you know, I've said that phrase a couple of times, but I really feel like that's where it's at. It's like leaders are not just leading, you know, uh, organizationally. They're not just leading in terms of saying, well, I'm just hosting this opportunity for you to learn. Like I think leadership in the church, discipleship in the church, needs to be intentionally and unselfconsciously the idea that we are creating parents, spiritual parents that can actually, uh, you know, uh, teach every generation what it means to, to, to follow the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's so interesting. I was, um, I was listening to, uh, there's the, uh, one of the main rabbis in the UK, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Sachs. Uh, he was talking, I was listening to, um, a video that he was talking about um, Passover, I think, uh, recently. And he was talking about how come that the Jewish nation has lasted, you know, last outlasted the, you know, the Egyptian Empire and all these, you know, all the different empires, the Roman Empire. They outlasted all of these different empires, and it's because what they did was they taught values from one generation to the next, and that's that sense of fathering and creating, you know, children. And, and passing values through generations has meant that they've created a culture that is so strong. And I think that's there's so much we can learn from that in, in the church world, because actually it's about, it's about the values of like the gospel and the, the values of the kingdom. And then, but then it's got to be put into a, a relationship where that is passing. And the great thing is it doesn't have to be, you know, physical parents to, to, you know, to physical children it could be spiritual fathers to, spiritual yeah. sons you know spiritual mothers to spiritual sons you know and um but how do we create how do we create that and how does that work in the the online world i think and i think what what's been great is that we've started over the course of the, you know these last few weeks we've started to think okay how are we going to do that how are we going to do that online the big thought for me that's, that's constantly on my mind and i think 
you know, Nick, feel free to jump in on this, Lee, as well, is that at some point when this ends, all the work that we've put into it, you know, all of these pastors that have suddenly started to think, right, how are we going to engage with people online? How are we going to start becoming, you know, these spiritual fathers and, and mothers to people online? Soon enough, we all go back to normal. Everyone goes back to their day job. And then online is just this void, this chasm. And what are we going to do? To to because this then the need is still there, and I think we've, what we've all realised yeah. is there is this need for just online discipleship. What are we going to do when we go back? Part of that for me is that, and you know that I have a bit of a, a bug about this, it's stop saying, you know, stop saying things like we have a meeting or we have an online meeting or we have a workshop, we have an online workshop, we have discipleship, we have an online discipleship. It's like, no, the process that makes those things effective absolutely is independent of where they happen if your process is good and things are in place a meeting is a meeting where where are we attending is it in person or is it going to be through a digital means i'm being discipled it's like great i get to meet up with this individual but also when we meet online it's also effective i think after this we need to drop some of those terms that draw the distinction to actually go back to the underlying processes about why we're doing them which is essential and it'll come back down to like you know why are we doing it? Why are we meeting? And uh, that will probably, for me, it would then increase opportunity and increase engagement. And we'll have to start counting the right things at church to understand what success looks like. And it's not bums on seats on a Sunday or how, how that feels. But actually, we'll have to start looking to the impact we're having in our wider area as a fact of people who've become Christian, people who are now being discipled and people who are le- learning to live out that new story and lead from it, the impact should be improvements in our schools, in health and education and in what the workplace looks like and general lifestyle and satisfaction. It's that overspill. But actually, we, 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 we look too, too narrow at what we're going to count to actually define success. But now we need to look, look at the impact. So for me, it will go beyond that numbers thing and start looking at the engagement aspect, which is something Chris and I have touched on earlier today. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think, Nick? I mean, I agree. I, th- I think I think the challenge is how does well. Let me just say this: that like you know, the the distinction between off- online and offline. I agree with you is is arbitrary in a lot of ways. Not because there isn't a high. I personally believe a higher value to in person. Um, embodiment of, of you know love and grace and, and these types of things um, but because functionally so much of what we were doing in person wasn't really about being in person it was just a delivery mechanism and I personally and we've already had conversations about this I'm very very eager to break that notion that somehow just because you're in person but you're delivering information that that's life-giving it's not. So in my mind, if we're just delivering information, let's use channels just like this, prevent people from having to drive. Now in the US, 
it really is about commuting, you know, in the UK, maybe not. But like, you know, if somebody, if I'm calling somebody that is to the church that lives 20 minutes away, which is very, very common for us, um, that's 40 minutes. We literally ask them to spend 40 minutes of their day to just travel to receive information. Now, that to me is crazy. So if we're going to deliver information, and, and I say even teaching that to some extent doesn't require uh, the embodiment of the people of God to be together, then maybe let's just do that. Like, let's do that online. Let's do that via video. Yeah. What I think is going to be tricky is how do you create an opportunity in our modern church environments for true life-giving community that is unguarded, unstructured, just doing life together? And I think that, and I hate to use, I don't think it's a blasphemous, uh, you know, uh, what's the word, um, analogy, but I'd love to see the church feel more like a pub in the sense that no one goes to the pub to get programming right? They go to the pub to hang out and they go to the pub to be around people they care about. And they go to the pub to share stories and they go to the pub to, you know, find refuge. And the church, I think in previous generations was that. And, um, you know, you could even say that maybe the reason that the the, uh, the pub culture in the UK started out the way it did was probably because it was an alternative to the church in some form or fashion. And so, like, you know, I feel like we've got to try and figure out how church can be more life-giving in that way than it be a locus of public education. Because I don't think that going to school was necessarily very life-giving to me. But learning alongside folks about how life should look and, and yeah. you know, how, did you, how did you come to that conclusion? How did you solve that problem? That's what we need to do more of. I was um so I was I was listening to um, Daniel M from uh, Lifeway, uh, Lifeway Resources, and he was talking about how uh, there's some educators in the US have started doing something called like flipping the classroom, mm. where the normal you know that normally used to you go to school for the or go to university for the lecture, and then you do the other activities at, at home, and what they started doing is sending the lectures out beforehand. And actually valuing the the gathering time was more about yep. uh, debate, discuss, learn. And that's where, you know, the real learning actually happens. And it's not the, you need, you need the information because you've got to have the material from which you, you can have those next steps. But it's, in the, it's, the, it's the community that brings the growth. And I think that's, I think you're absolutely right in, in, the, in that we need to find ways and use online. You know, is that midweek group necessary? to me or is it better to send out the material beforehand and actually gather in someone's house over food and debate and discuss um i think that there's there's so much value in that for sure yeah and that's going to require some of the people who've had positions and we've in churches can sometimes be quite hierarchical that we're going to need to be able to offload uh and delegate better so that people feel permission to be able to take someone out. So there's going to be, it's going to be, some of it's going to be structural. Well, can, can I bounce on that point? Because I think one of the things that New Spring, I mean, I'm not speaking as a, a representative of the New Spring, you know, uh, 
teaching team here. I mean, this is my personal thought, so I want to make that clear. But one of the things that New Spring does really, really well, I think, is we've created a set of core values. Like it's almost like a nested doll of values, which I think sets somebody up very, very well to take delegated spiritual authority and and um, take it into their places and spaces. Right. I think one of the reasons why a lot of churches are hierarchical is because everything, the only way somebody knows how to think is based on what the pastor says on a Sunday morning. Right. And so at New Spring, we've come up with, you know, I think family values that are salvation, freedom, purpose and family. Right. And so we have teaching and understanding of what it means to be saved, to be free, to be purposeful, and to be a family. And so once those values are understood, then we believe that people can live out those values in in every way that they are living, right? Same thing goes with um, our mission statement now, or I guess you could say vision statement, is uh, New Spring Church is a life-giving church marked by the presence of God, activating Um, us to impact others and so again you've got clarity that we're supposed to be life-giving at the end of the day if if the presence of god isn't in what we're doing we're missing it and if we're not activating others to faith we're missing it and so we're giving our leadership class our volunteer leaders our lay leaders clear parameters and then we biblically undergird that with one other set of statements which is the great commission, the great commandment, and the great collaboration, right? So in every single way, we're trying to essentially create a story for what our church is supposed to be accomplishing so that it's not dependent on Brad Cooper, our teaching pastor, or Clayton King, our teaching pastor, or, you know, Dan Leanne, our teaching pastor. It can be something that um, Tim Ray, our, you know, married group hub leader, can coach into the people who are leading the marriage groups in our church. And so I think, I think that's the problem is that we don't have, um, you know, uh, the confidence to give our leaders true spiritual authority. Um, and I think there are ways to fix that problem. Well, thank you to Nick Charalambas for joining us for this week's podcast. Uh, it's so insightful. Absolutely loved it. And thank you to you, listener, for joining us as well. Uh, just a reminder that we have just launched our uh, Thinking Church membership so you can get all of our facilitation on video. You can then go and facilitate your team yourself. And it's uh, all available on our website. Just go to our website, www.thinking.church. We will see you again for another podcast next week. Bye for now. <laughs>